Exodus for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to Exes for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today, we have a special episode taking a look at two X-Men solo titles for what seems to be the last possible time we can. Cable by Jerry Dugan and Phil Noto is coming to its end with its 12th issue, while Wolverine by Ben Percy and a number of artists, but most notably Adam Kubert, seems to be continuing on strong. So we've put together an episode taking a look at these two incredible books back to back. Now, the Wolverine discussion ran unbelievably longer than I could have ever imagined, and I'm a huge Wolverine fan, so I always want the Wolverine talk to go long but this was crazy so this segment is so filled with our interpretations of the character what we love about him and what makes the character so special and we hope you guys enjoy now if you guys like what you hear you might even like what you see so don't forget to check us out over on twitter patreon and youtube at exes for podcast where you can check out some amazing exclusive content Hey everybody, welcome back to Exes for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of Wolverine every fucking week, because this guy is in every book, every fucking week, and I could not be happier. I guess that means that I'm Nico, and that you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, snicked! Hey everyone, this is Dante, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at InfernoMagic, that is magic with a K. Snicked! <laughs> hey, this is Kyle, and you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D R A N T I S 82. Oh, boy, snicked. <laughs> <laughs> and that would make me Raven, aka Dame Red Bento, your art ho auntie who has a million and one projects, just kind of wants to be filmed not wearing much. And, you know, comic book reviews in her underwear. Come on, a girl can dream. Snicked. <laughs> Snicked. I wanted to give you like a really sensual one, like like full mm. on Tony Braxton video. Like, yo. Snicked. <clears throat> oh, and, and, and I guess I'm Nathan, and and you can find Snicked. me online, Bub, at like Dazzler AOA on Twitter and Instagram, y'all, Bub, and uh, where I'm drinking a Molson. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, I've let us down a real stupid path that I'm real real excited about. Snickety Snuggins! <laughs> I guess that makes this Wolverine 14 by the amazing team of Ben Percy and Adam Kubert. And I know that I love to do this maybe a little too much week after week, but I really enjoy the idea that one of the reasons that Wolverine works so well is because Wolverine is a diamond, right? Wolverine is indestructible. He's made of the hardest things there are, and his different facets reflect light differently. What I mean by that is one of the things that Wolverine is most useful for, from a marketing perspective, is Wolverine can play just about any fucking role you need. You can throw him into a noir. You can throw him into a cage match. And you can throw him into a soft, gentle romance featuring a post-war soldier like Brian K. Vaughn did in his and Eduardo Rizzo's 
stunning Logan 3 issue miniseries from, God, almost 20 years ago now. So I bring all of this up because one of my perhaps frustrations with Wolverine at the time is that he is not reverberating with the mul- the multitude that I look for from him. I feel instead he is echoing a sense of Ben Percy's restrained quietude. And it's through that refocusing that I find myself perhaps longing for some Logan of old. And I wondered if you guys were as well. For my sake, the Logan that I miss is the sleek, sexy spy. The guy who's barely in the issue. He says 10 lines on the plane. He comes back a little bit bloody, half naked with that fucking feral chest hair. And he's just like, I did what I had to do, Bob. And then he just kind of like rejoins the team. And Nick Fury's like, the fuck is this guy? Right? That's So you want Patches back. I just want Patch all the goddamn time. That's That's all I ever fucking want. Patch. Like... Bitch, I like no, you're not. Come on. Just now he's uh patches and he's a member of like the little rascals. And I'm <laughs> he really is. It. Now, what Logan do you guys miss? Is there a, an iteration of the Knucklehead that you guys long for as much as I long for my versions? I, I hate to agree with you on this, but Patch, like that early Wolverine, like issue one through twenty Wolverine is like the ten ultimate Wolverine for me when he's having a solo story where he's got that amazing cast of backup characters where you can have him and he's just in a suit and he's so fucking Wolverine like it's like there's no other way he could be anybody else but he like walks up and like Karma's like oh yeah you're Patch right oh okay (laughs) it's like like, he's half Jean-Luc Picard half Dirty Harry and it's just like perfect (laughs) so he's a Dirty Picard (laughs) that is my favorite drink (laughs) what is in a Dirty Picard (laughs) well it has to be at this point because if you're Dirty Harry and and Patrick Stewart you're you're a Dirty Picard (laughs) So you have a little bit of Earl Grey, and then you punch somebody in the face. A little bit of Earl Grey and a little bit of whiskey. I can't imagine something better. Now, Raven, that that makes me ask, who do you look for in Logan that you're maybe not seeing right now under Ben Percy's very lumberjackian pen? Actually, I freaking love this version of Wolverine because I read Wolverine way back in the, like the 1990s, and I read a lot of the stuff. Thank from you the for 80s. clarifying that it wasn't like the 1890s or the <laughs> 1790s. Well, I really well, appreciate they you clarifying. But they keep trying to retcon him and put him back in those ones, and I'm like, fucking hate that. And I am the eldest here, I believe. So sometimes I have to remind you that I'm not that old. If you actually told me that there is a house that keeps you alive and that you have been alive since like the 1300s and you just fake not being as wise as you are with your 800 years of knowledge, I honestly don't know that I would try correcting you if you're true. Wait, what is is Wolverine even like in the 1890s? Is he like, the fairest maiden? No, yeah, he's like five. Girl, 1890s, not 1690s. God damn, he's like... Drink you some ale. <laughs> Snicketh, bub. 1890s is much more like that really nice rough farm hand that, never mind, I can't say that. you got to edit all the next things out. <laughs> <laughs> Taste <But> no. that <laughs> in bubbit. So, <laughs> good for, oh, Jesus Christ. You're thinking Shakespeare, man. That is like the 1400s, 1500s. Good you know, they Lord. don't, with the public school, they don't really teach us oh, very well. I mean, it sounds like it, but you know, <laughs> I'm lucky we got Romeo and Juliet, okay? So, 
No, well, but like I went through Wolverine when he was, you know, oh, Gene, I love you so much, but I can never have you. I've been through him at his most feral, um, like in Onslaught and the Savage Lands. I've been through him when he was just, you know, super angry, aggressive, you know, mentally messed up. You know, I've done the Weapon X. I've, you know, done, you know, so many different iterations of Wolverine and I love them. But I was starting to feel like... I was tired of him because they were never really progressing his his being, his person forward. And that was his entire focus point of his journey was seeing this very broken, shattered person who had been through so much fucking trauma slowly piece themselves back together or figure out what their identity is. Does the identity rely on what team he's on or is an identity a very personal and individual thing? And how do you regrow or rediscover one after you've been through that much freaking trauma so to actually see him as as a more realized person who yes has trouble uh having friendships that are openly um loving or any form of affectionate like <laughs> like uh when he was uh forming a friendship with with Bannister the the CIA agent you know yeah. he's a, you know he's got that beautiful lawn and everything and how Logan you know like says hey I like you as a friend and you know besides giving him flowers for his daughter he freaking tosses a beer bottle on his perfect lawn like seriously dude yep yeah yep i, I love I you too <laughs> and like what are we supposed to think like logan thinks littering is cool like is that the lesson <laughs> no no but that is something that people who've been through a severe amount of trauma sometimes do where they're like, look, I like you and I'm going to do things for you, like give you things that you need and or want and or punch people in the face who have irritated you. But I cannot tell you that I love you. I cannot give you uh, 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 affirmation directly to your face that this is a good thing and that I like our relationship. I have to do it in a mildly passive aggressive way. <laughs> so now that Raven has described Logan like a cat... I am very curious what you think, Dante, as sort of like our slick cat daddy Dante. I'm curious how you feel about Wolverine. Are you yearning for a different era of the good old yellow and blue? Or are you, I don't know, the brown and orange costume? Maybe it's red. I don't know. The other one. Do you want I a was, different logo? I was, I was kind of thinking maybe like the noseless version, uh, a little more beef chill. <laughs> little more feral hanging out in the woods outside of Westchester. No. Oh, um, the Joe Mad. The Joe yeah. Mad. <laughs> Obviously, nobody can be as big a Wolverine fan as Nico. I love the character. Even even when I might complain about like his overexposure, right? It feels like we do get a lot. And especially like, oh, I'm in the 90s. Like, we, you know, like tone it down. We had a lot. But I love the character still. And just like Raven said, like there's so many different iterations of the character. And the mentorship relationship is one that I really enjoy with Wolverine. Because I really feel like it, it's fun to play off of his gruffness, his savagery with a younger mutant to kind of help him, I don't know, navigate the world and want to make it a better place and teach them how to fit in the world. And so like, I, for me, that's kind of what I, I long for is that to me, that was the progression I saw that Wolverine you know what he he we've seen him mentor many different characters but not not to mention being the headmaster of a school for a good good stint 
You know, like I enjoyed that. I liked that direction. So in a lot of ways, I feel like we've lost that. And stories like this, I, I really enjoy as maybe like a one-off, but as a as a constant solo adventure for Wolverine, I just I just feel like I need something else paired with him to to continue building who he is a character and and to show that reflected. And so I really, he's like a he's like a wine. Yeah, that was even what I was gonna say. Like that really <laughs> makes me think of food. Like truly, like there are a lot of really complex flavors that you know a lot of your top hawk cuisine chefs really love to cook with but because they are so pot they need to be channeled with another powerful flavor and i love that idea of the mentorships right because like whether it's kitty who had sort of like a burgeoning sense of rebellious independence Mm -hmm. or it's jubilee who had all of the subtlety of a falling arcade cabinet (laughs) (laughs) right right yeah or it's my precious quentin who you know (laughs) they still have so much great chemistry over in x-force i feel like oh oh, yeah oh yeah yeah. yeah. there's so much to be said for logan and the other Mm -hmm. and i really love that that's what you brought to the table now speaking of wonderful the other so so wait you're saying you're saying you're saying that logan is bog butter basically what in God's name is Bog Butter? Yeah. What? I, really? I'm, you I'm haven't scared. heard of this? Oh my God. Okay, so um, in like Ireland, Scotland, uh, over in the UK, basically, they have a lot of peat bogs. And way back when, uh, in order to preserve your goods, because, you know, you didn't have a refrigerator, you'd go and you'd bury your butter in the peat bogs because it has a low acidic uh, microbial, whatever you want to call it. This this is actually really true. Peat bogs have a higher level base. This is like a thousand, ten million percent true, guys. So so sometimes, you know, you'd, you'd remember where you put your butter and sometimes you might forget. So. So apparently people have just been, you know, hey, we're, we're moving things around, going through this peat bog, you know, looking for records or whatnot, and have tripped over perfectly preserved hundred or even thousand year old butter in these peat bogs. And they actually now use it for cooking in some very high end places. But it has a very uh, pungent, earthy, um, uh, <laughs> a pretty extreme taste, let's say that. And and yeah, it's, you can use it in small amounts, but it is a ridiculously expensive. But it has an amazing flavor, I hear. Did Nico it, really stumble on something? Are you really from the 1890s or the 70s? Seriously? <laughs> I, can, I can neither confirm nor deny at what period I was born. <coughs> Um, you know, I was born in 1980. I can't oh say if gosh. that's BCE or <laughs> whatnot, but you know. I was laughing so hard. I literally had tears, but I muted myself. You, <laughs> you missed all of that. And that because while you were explaining this, I all I could think of was this great little mini story that someone could tell of Wolverine going out and burying his butter, but accidentally... <laughs> getting buried with it and being found like a hundred years later and both are pristinely uh preserved and like he just pops back up and i think i think that was a story in torchwood i think that was a torchwood art like, i think oh my God. I, the problem is i'm writing this now and it's Sabretooth who finds him because Sabretooth is like i've been trying to tussle with the runt on his birthday for a hundred years of butter and like <laughs> 
Oh, Jesus. This is everything to me. And speaking of everything to me, I was not saying the other. I was saying sweet like Kitty, dynamic like Jubilee, and also, I guess, a boy like Quentin. And so that's... Because I can't think of anybody who has less in common with Quentin Choir on this fucking planet than Kyle. (laughs) Kyle, uh, my very own Muscle Cub Omega, I gotta know, what do you think about Logan as he stands? Is there a specific Logan era you miss? So I'm gonna break your heart a bit (laughs) again. I've said in the past that I'm really not a big fan of Logan, but... I do agree with Dante that I miss him as That was me throwing a temper tantrum. I needed a second. I couldn't get to the keyboard fast enough. I'm like kicking my chair. I'm like, don't keep talking! (laughs) So break my heart. You were saying, I'm so sorry. I had to be dramatic in in the face of all logic. Well, I I was saying that I agree with, with Dante that I miss Logan in that mentor mode. That doesn't that doesn't break my heart. That makes me so happy. No, the the part before that when I was saying that I'm not a big Logan fan oh, in general. <laughs> okay, no, that part. That, but I I've come to accept that Logan yeah. is like Dorian and is a really <laughs> pungent, <laughs> fruity thing. Dory. Oh, Dorian. <laughs> Yeah, Dorian. Who's Dorian? Oh, Dorian. John Dorian from Scrubs. Oh, so, oh for fuck's sake. So, Kyle, you were saying you have terrific taste in Logan eras. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like, I le- loved him when he was mentoring Kitty. Um, I don't really remember a lot of when he was mentoring Jubilee, but his time with Quentin, um, I kind of love hate Quentin. And watching the two of them kind of spar against each other was just like the best. <laughs> so yeah, the the whole mentoring thing that's that's my what I miss from from Logan. And I really genuinely love that perspective on it because I I do really miss Logan. I was just having this exact conversation with Dante that I think one of the highest forms of art is when you're able to really talk about a character without talking about them and how dynamically impactful that is. And I feel as though one of the things that I get from a really good Logan mentor story is that character always bears the imprint of Logan forever. And I think there's no better example of that than Laura, who is just one of the most fabulous characters ever. And she's born of an imprint moment of Logan, not she's some sort of exact carbon copy. It's an imprint moment where they spent time together and then developed individually. And I just feel like not enough is said for so many of the beautiful relationships like that in the X-Men. I think about the way, you know, I don't want to like sit on the floor and cry about how much we don't deserve Storm because we don't. But I think about the way Storm learned to suppress her rage, to love Rogue as a fellow orphan who needed someone to teach her that anger didn't make her bad. And like the idea that mentorship is so central through the X-Men really can't be missed. And I wouldn't have thought of that if we hadn't had this discussion. So guys, I'm really grateful that you guys brought up. And I got to just then real quick question, favorite Logan mentee. For me, it is Quentin, kind of 
unabashedly not sorry about it. And I, I mean, you could fucking say anybody, but no, you could say Heather. You could say Heather. And I'd even be like, fine, fine. That that counts because she's fantastic. So Wait, Heather Hudson? <laughs> yeah, why not? What? There's like, that. Uh, she they, they, him, though. Like, but like, then there's that issue, Alpha Flight 13, where she's like, I don't know. Can I do it? And he's like, this might be a dream sequence, Bubette. You know, like, so <laughs> you could you could make a compelling ass case, like a real good one, like convincing me to get sugary snacks after nine o'clock if I've smoked. So, like, you could make a compelling case. So, I gotta know. Favorite mentee? Hit me with it. My team. I, I think uh, the the classic one's the best for me. Kitty Pride. Uh, Kate Pride. Kitty Pride. However you want to put it. Uh, yeah, I get that. She was Kitty then. She's Kate she now. She was Kitty then. Yeah. It. So, I'm like, it, it's, you know, it's the one that we've been allowed to see go full circle from her just being his mentor to him seeing her as an equal helping having her help run the school together so i just think it's it's got a lot of depth there let's pretend that whole panel where kitty is sitting there and well logan walks out naked and he's like see jubilee i told you he's hung but like yeah let's forget about that <laughs> i mean we all knew that though well that also he's like five foot three so i blame yeah. the writers for that one and not perspective of course it looks like it hits his knee he's only five foot three <laughs> i'm just saying i'm, I'm just saying <laughs> Oh my god. Um, I can't think about anything else right now. Well, I didn't realize that I was on mute this whole time and I'm telling this story and I'm like everybody's really like talking over the story, but it was obviously syncing up. So we could not hear you at all. No, no, but it was really syncing up. I was saying, like, you know, Raven, you're more correct than you think because there's that scene in Assault on Weapon Plus slash Murder at the Mansion where Sabretooth and Logan are standing next to each other at the urinals of the Hellfire Club. And Mm -hmm. Sabretooth says, There's nothing different about you. We're the same. What you got that I ain't got. And Sabretooth looks over and Logan's just grinning. He's like, um, and you know, there's a, <laughs> there's a real sexual component to that that I think you might be able to read into it. I don't know. Maybe there's a penis joke there. And Grant Morrison really does love superhero dick metaphors. Oh, so yeah. we have a we have a uh, Nico says Logan and the urinal. Okay, um, Nathan said Logan and Kitty. Now <laughs> I need Raven. I need Dante. I need mm-hmm. Kyle. Menti me. Hmm, let's see. Honestly, I think Logan's best mentee was Storm. Ooh, that's a great read, and that's a beautiful interpretation. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, they were were mentoring each other Mm -hmm. when they they met and when they started to to develop their friendship. Logan, honestly, taught Storm how to uh, release and be more of herself without letting her powers run amok, because that was what she was so desperately afraid of, is her powers getting away from her because she lost uh, emotional control. She didn't know how to really lean into having emotions because she was so much about control. And she taught, or he taught her that it's okay to let go, that you can be yourself, that you can express yourself, and that your powers are not a detriment. They don't need to be coupled so thoroughly. And also your powers don't make you who you are. 
But it's not like Raven's ever put any thought into how complex and beautiful a character Storm is. No, no not at all. Not, a, not no. at all. No. <laughs> it's also why I, this is also why I really like their, their, their relationship, their sexual relationship together, because you have two people who have come from exceedingly traumatic and fucked up backgrounds, and they understand each other on a beautifully quiet level. And they're able to be themselves without any sort of judgment or anything to really hold them back. And the funny thing is Storm actually did teach Logan control, how to center himself and to think more before diving into something. But also that if he loses control and becomes his more feral self, that it's okay and that he can come back to being a person. And that feral self is not a detriment to who he is as a person overall. Man, I love that read i really really do dante oh. kyle follow that up yeah go ahead <laughs> yeah thanks we, 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 might, we, we might have to edit that so i'm at the end I'm just Wait, no no i got it i got it i'm just gonna remind you guys that my original vote <laughs> was quentin choir <laughs> and then i upgraded slightly to a urinal okay <laughs> that is hey, both of them are full of piss so and vinegar so dante hey. I'm gonna base my answer. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little a little reasoning ahead of time uh, because I would say like my my pick is gonna be a character that I may not have loved as much if it weren't for the relationship with Logan. So so many of the characters that he has been a mentor for, I, I feel like my love of that character has mostly been independent of Logan, and you know that relationship was just kind of like a like a bonus. Uh, so for me, uh, you know, kind of going back to the idea of like Logan imprinting on them and maybe influencing them for better. Um, I think this relationship also had that kind of a similar, not quite to the depth of, of the Wolverine-Logan relationship that Raven explained, but Quentin Quire actually, for me, is the favorite relationship, that, that mentor-mentee relationship. Because honestly, I didn't really care for the character before they had their, their interactions together um, with Logan trying to steer Quentin in a better direction, Quentin being the you know little pissant that we know him to be. <laughs> Like, I feel like Quentin became legitimately a better person because of his interactions with Logan. And he was still the asshole that we all knew him to be. But like, I think he also had kind of a positive influence on Wolverine because Wolverine was learning how to run a school and how to deal with all of these these kids. And like, you know, I think that he grew from that experience and learning how to like relate to somebody who is such a little jerk. So I, for me, it's it's Quentin. You know, I, I say it all the time. My single favorite comic book arc ever is Riot at Xavier's. So that hit me in all the special fields. Like, I'm not yeah. choked up. Whatever. Kyle. Whatever. Kyle, it's your turn, Kyle. <laughs> I mean, I already said it. I I absolutely love his relationship with Quentin Quire. I, exactly as, as Dante said, they both grow immensely through their relationship with each other. And it's it's not something that is subtly done either. It's It's a very obvious hey each of them are learning from each other and they're becoming better people because of it i just so completely and thoroughly love this and because i i don't know you know everybody it's so funny because you kind of build up these senses of who you are 
in this microcosmic way, right? And it's not a reflection you ever really have the time to take and make, right? So I spend a lot of time on this show. We all do, every one of us, right? We spend the time reading, we make notes, we do a little bit of research here and there. And when we, you know, either lead rooms or when we know we're going to be part of rooms, we write down questions. And it sounds silly, but in a lot of ways, the way this show breaks apart and comes back together does sort of feel like an X line where it's kind of like different teams form and everybody does have their kind of super abilities, right? And the way we all come together makes it very different. And I think one of the things that is so massively important when you're looking at the X-Men is that sort of ability to come apart and come back together as something different than you are. And I think something that all of us touched on was the ways in which Logan makes you different than you were. And almost always for the better, we hope, right? And there's something very much in that spirit that I feel is so defining of the way we kind of come together and talk in, in a sort of really interesting way. I think, Raven, you said really beautifully that Storm and Logan mentored each other. They, you know, influenced each other totally, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like there would be no complete discussion of Logan without, and I'm so sorry for the the, the slight detour, there would be no mm-hmm. complete discussion of Logan without taking one moment to examine the romantic relationships in his life. And Absolutely. without getting too far into it, uh, I would love to just get your guys' take on Logan romances. I know for me, the most impactful moment of Logan romance ever in my life, and this guy who loved Logan this much was in X-Men 7 by Jonathan Hickman. I was forever changed by Jeannie in a bikini, Scott in a Speedo. That, <laughs> that surrender of masculine, self-protective, overdramatic identity to the sweet innocence of a beer with a guy he's probably getting used to jacking off with after all these years. Like, I imagine that, like, they probably, like, broke back fucked in the Morlock sewers a few times, that way that you know, you just, just you just spit and you go for it. Very Heath Ledger going for that Oscar, you know. And it's very. I hope you do Logan the was on bottom because that is a disgusting area, and you'd need a lot of germ resistance. I do not question that. And <laughs> I feel as though, you know, it's that joke from 30 Rock, it's just two men celebrating each other's strength, right? And like, it's become something so much realer to them now. The fear of dying is gone, so the ability to love without fear of loss has become things, become something so much more palpable to them. And while, as was discussed in a recent room, yeah, Gene is the hinge that makes that relationship work. There's no question. But it is such a more important thing that these two men kind of held each other's sacks and said, cool sack, bro. And I think the romance of that moment is so important to me as a as, as a pansexual poly man. It just really hit a lot of my emotional needs that I go to Logan for. How about you guys? Is there a Logan relationship that defines his central identity for you? Honestly, I just really wish he'd get the fuck over Jean. I'm so tired of her. Like, her and his sexual tension relationship does not do it for me at all. Like, I mean, bitch. I brought you onto the show knowing bitch. that. Like, <laughs> right? Place, I know, I know, right? I knew that but- up front. That's why you're here. Fight me. But honestly, I love his relationship with each person because it's so different 
for him and Storm, it's being able to like like literally release that maelstrom of passion and and wanton sexuality, but also learning how to actually do the dance where you seduce each other and you talk and you flirt and they're constantly doing that around each other. So it feels like when they come together, it's literally like the grand ending to a beautiful like dance opera. Like it's just oh you've been flirting with each other this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's beautiful but then when he goes and has uh say a relationship with mystique it's very different it's a very different type of seduction what he wants with gene is a very very different type of relationship so even though he's having sex with pretty much anything that has sentience and a heartbeat and maybe not even always a heartbeat in the mcu like every relationship that he has, every sexual relationship he has is a little bit different and is done for a different reason. But I think all of them are expressions of deep pieces of himself. Wow. I, I didn't mean <laughs> I didn't mean to like make this two separate segments, one that's just about how much I love making other people talk about Wolverine and the other actually discussing the book. But fuck, what a good night for me. Kyle, who is your who is your log logmance? Um, uh, so I Kyle votes Sabretooth. One. Got it. I don't have one. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I like. I mean, Logan's really not that big of a character for me, so I, I really so can Bam. But Canada. haven't you heard so it like hangs low and hits about his, uh, his knee? <laughs> <laughs> like, I think he's a decently big character. <laughs> well, it would make him yeah. a decently big member, but... <laughs> of the Hellfire Club, no less. So, Kyle, I'm going to give you the pass. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you out on this one. Thanks. Boop, you're passed. So... Dante, do you see a particular romance for Logan as kind of like the pinnacle, like the the seminal relationship for him? I am going to have to talk about uh, two different relationships. Um, and I don't know if you can I'm hear here for it. I love yelling. it. Talk. Because you just... <laughs> um, well, I mean, Kyle just abdicated his time to you, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great, great. Uh, I... Let's talk about the current status. I love the representation. I love seeing, as subtextual as it is, I love the the poly relationship between Logan, Gene, and Scott. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's fantastic. I I believe it. I believe that that is a progression that I would see with those characters. We we got over kind of like the you know like love triangle of it all, which is such a overused trope. Mm -hmm. that pining to something that feels like yeah like once we once we stop caring about what society tells us is supposed to be the way things are limiting ourselves to the idea of monogamy and then opening ourselves up that that relationship makes a lot of sense to me in its own little bubble <laughs> but i love that i really do it's so good but honestly, like the time for that relationship, to me, it felt like it passed. I feel like we we should have been in a different place with, with all of these characters. I felt like Gene probably has moved on beyond both Logan and Scott, realistically. Thank you. And I think that like she, like 
it always feels like Jean belongs to them. And I want mm. Jean to belong to herself and decide who she wants to be in a relationship with, not be pined over. You know, like they to me, that relationship in a lot of ways represents kind of that high school, uh, you know, like want and desire, but nothing adult. Because <laughs> I'm just going to throw this in because I loved Scott and Emma. And to me, that felt like such a real adult relationship. And that's mm. what I wanted for yeah. Scott. And of course, I had to say that because I love Scott and I love Emma. And for Logan, to me, that adult relationship existed with Storm. Mm. That was that was the mutual respect. They appreciated, enjoyed each other, understood each other. And they had a chemistry that was just undeniable. And the fact that like all of that. Other, yeah, everything that gets swept aside to go back to the classic love triangle or love interest with Jean. Like, you know, I just wasn't really all about that. Um, as much as I love them being in that poly relationship, like, I think that's fantastic. But, eh, you know, like, it just didn't work for me because of that. That's that's actually a really, t- yeah. damn, that's a really well thought out and solid reasoning. Oh, I think about Scott's relationships. I love it. <laughs> romantic life a lot, so. <laughs> and Funny of, enough, you- I hadn't thought of Scott and Emma together, but the way you just put that out there, I'm like, actually, yeah, that would work a lot better. And I think, yeah, I might actually like Cyclops more if that's the route they took. Nico, I just won today. Um, So let's make sure to... (laughs) Holy shit. Damn. (laughs) Anytime I can get somebody to say they like Scott even a little bit more is a win (laughs) for me. Right? And we know how much I do not like Scott. Well, now you can't say that. Huh. Now it's not I, true. I mean, no, no, no. It's only true if they get together. That's when I'll start liking him more. But okay. since he's not... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we, 40 minutes ago, we're supposed to start wait, talking wait, wait, wait. about Wolverine. Wait, wait, wait. I didn't talk about my... <laughs> oh, Yeah, we got, we got to let him have Nathan okay. some, yeah. Nathan has like, some feelings. I'm like, hold on. Um, I'm going to so, retire. <laughs> so so I, I everybody forgets, like, canonically the real relationship that really was the mold for Wolverine's relationships going on is Heather, Heather Hudson, Mac Hudson, and Wolverine, right? Because, you know, that was the original original love triangle that was that was his first redhead he was in love with that was she was the first one to tame the beast in him from <laughs> turning him from a Is that what we're calling it <laughs> <laughs> turning oh him from the wild man who was like you know be like in his berserker rage in the canadian forest and like you know bringing him back to humanity so like i think that was really his like the archetype for wolverine's relationships going forward that being said i think my favorite and like the hottest one to me and it's all just sexual tension and probably all in my mind is the the weird like flirtation hatred between Wolverine and Gambit oh because, yeah. because they you know especially when you go back to like the 270s like that was 277 278 where they had that big danger room battle that mm. that was so seeped in sexual tension to me as a kid I was like oh my god <laughs> like I've, I've seen wrestling matches with less homoerotic tension than that yeah. When when Gambit sticks his staff in Wolverine's face, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but that's Sorry. all I have to say about that. <laughs> I agree. Damn. So 
I need to say that, you know, as a, as the guy running the room, sometimes I'm like, oh, I come with a bunch of questions. I never expected that to turn into like 35 <laughs> minutes, but I'm so glad it did because I feel like, like we were discussing, one of the things that by talking about Logan, I feel like I understand your guys' fandom of the X-Men better in general. Mm-hmm. And it's such a pleasure to share this sort of X-Pack space with you guys. And that does finally bring us to, because I'm Nathan, I'm not cutting you off again right no i hear okay cool 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 so and i'm i'm and kyle are there more opinions you don't have that i need to let you not have all of them <laughs> okay i just all want to check yep. perfect all everyone so we are finally ready to talk about wolverine 14 by the really brilliant team of ben percy and adam kubert and i want to start with this team is so brilliant that it kills me that I did not think that this issue was snicked. I really, really didn't. And mm. I'm a hardcore Adam Kubert fan going back my entire life, right? Like, if you grew up reading comic books, you grew up worshiping Joe Kubert and his sons just as much. And, you know, I have so many friends that went to the Joe Kubert school and I think about how much I love the Claremont Revolution pages that as soon as I read his run on this, I'm like, oh my God, look how he retextualized that stuff in such a brilliant way, showing his growth as an artist. And like, I was so excited. And I just think he's such a master of form. And Ben Percy is a master of narrative. But I felt like I was promised an issue about Solemn. And mm. I feel like mm-hmm. what I got was the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie <laughs> about some weird yeah. looking fucker I've never met before mm. not having a nose. And what I wanted was <laughs> solemn, although 33 and a half points for the delicious amount of sage that I did. I mean, and you know, that's a season, so I probably shouldn't have said delicious. For the delectable, no, that's also a food thing. I guess I don't know how to describe things as not food. Uh, okay. <laughs> I got a smorgasbord of sage and the vivaciousness of sage. No, she's not vivacious. <laughs> she's not. I was sage? like, that's bad. Yeah, she's not. Are we You're right. talking about the same person? You're so not vivacious. Like what? The snarky, snarky. How about snarky? Yeah, that's definitely true. Snarky sage. Okay, I got the sensational snarky sage. So I'm going into this saying that I didn't dislike what I got, but feeling like I was getting a solemn issue from the amount of hype that they put behind this, that it was in the the last issue. I feel like you can't keep giving me the payoff to the previous last panel reveal this last panel. That's not... I feel like I'm kind of being dragged along. I really liked what I got, but I wish I hadn't been promised solemn. How did you mm. guys feel about that? Was this a case where you guys maybe were... Because as soon as I said it, like several of you were really sad for me, which I appreciate. So how did you guys feel about the story? I mean, I was pissed off for that reason. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't not like the story. Yeah, but, right. You know, the, I I know that covers don't always tie into like the action or what happens in a book, right? Like that's we we get that. We know that that's not that's the case. That's how it's always been. But when you plaster somebody on the front of the book and there's all this buildup in the story, it's like, well, there's no buildup because we already know where it's going. 
And then we get the we get that acknowledgement at the very end when we knew it from the very beginning. Like that's like what are they thinking? Like you know what would have been great is that huge fucker on the on the front cover, Blackmore. Is it Blackmore? Yes. Like yeah. that would have been a great cover for this because it's like he's just he was just the means to the you know uh, the direction of the story and to, to point us in the solemn's direction. But no, like it's like oh we know this is a solemn story. Well we need to get there. <laughs> but like yeah, it just I don't know something about that i i enjoyed the story overall but Mm -hmm. that part of it for me i was just like come on this is stupid i like the color the cover art um i'm looking at the the i guess the original one that kind of bluish tone was solemn and you see you know uh wolverine's mask kind of decaying and being torn apart it has a very particular color story to it and so it gives you a very certain feel of of kind of like maybe where the story should run especially since those are solemn's colors and then the color story in the the issue itself seems to be very disconnected and then like i like the story itself but like i'm just going you're exactly right <laughs> oh no, i hate that but you know you're exactly right like the cover tells me i should kind of expect this thing and they made it very prominent and then they didn't really follow through so we get led off to this this mutant pirate and i'm like okay that wait why (laughs) just not mad but why it feels disconnected okay so (laughs) i i have a a lot of a lot of like the story the issue itself is is not a horrible issue i do Mm -hmm. feel like we were promised by the cover Mm -hmm. a solemn issue i feel like there's a lot of stuff left way too untold from issue 12 to start a brand new arc like where is the singing vampire nun like where is like (laughs) Like, where's, like, where's Sevelith? Where's, where's Death? Where, like, you bring up all this cool, interesting stuff. Like, I'm like, oh, cool. We're going to see this cool part of other world. And then, like, they're just like, ha, 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 joke's on you. You're not going to get any of that. <laughs> like, I just think it would have, as a story itself, it, it's a good story. It's not a bad story. The art, mm-hmm. the art yeah, decent. Yeah, good story. I'm but it's, very it's, on board. Doesn't it doesn't fulfill the promise of the previous stories or the cover itself? Mm-hmm. And and I do kind of Emma Frost in Wolverine. I thought they got past all of that distrust years ago. Cool. Like I did not yeah. love I did not love that part of it. And Emma Frost didn't really seem like Emma Frost. Yeah, she she treated him kind of like the dog, like you know, go fetch heal the stupid dog. I'll do it myself, kind of thing. So yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. with you on that. It did feel a bit like a giant jump backward for their relationship. I'm not really sure how that happened, but it didn't feel organic. And I think it can be contextualized by the desperate pain that Emma finds herself in at her not dead brother. At least they didn't bury the what? gaze. Okay. Like at least they didn't bury the gaze. Yeah. You right. know what? I, I literally was screaming that. So I guess I have to, if, if, if that's going to be the answer, then they didn't do the thing I was shouting about. And I am grateful that I misread the situation, even mm-hmm. though it was purposely designed to be misread. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, okay. Now, Kyle, I feel like sometimes, you know, you read Wolverine kind of in spite of your interests. Yes. You understand <laughs> it's part of the pattern. It's Yes. The, it's the line, you know? Accurate. So I, I realized that... 
this book builds up other stories. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it is following up on the events of uh, the Hellfire Gala, which mm -hmm. I enjoy. I, I was really happy to see that this issue took that direction instead of jumping back and forth between one of the dozens of other storylines that he's weaving in in the series effortedly juggling like it's all they can help themselves to do because there's a lot <laughs> of stories i mean and they're managing them all but there's a lot you're not wrong just like wolverine at a health eye gala there's a lot of balls in the air <laughs> 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 yeah, they they are they are managing them. I personally don't like the way that it bounces back and forth between between them so much. In regards to the solemn tease, yeah, I'm really really disappointed with that. It's it's been forever since we've seen solemn and to have him have this such a big tease and then all we get is a one panel mention of him at the very end of the book that that really kind of um it it deflated any kind of excitement that i had right remember remember when there were actual like advertisements about wolverine's new big arch nemesis <laughs> like how yeah. long has it been since yeah. that? And like, I feel like we haven't had that payoff either. Like, they were really pushing Solemn, and mm -hmm. like, he was cool in X of Swords, but like, hardly even really there and really mm -hmm. relevant to that story. Like, they yeah. did not utilize him. Yeah. And yeah. I love this cover. You know, like w when I said what it was stupid, I, I didn't mean like anything about the art, right? Like, I think this is a gorgeous cover. I just that disconnect. I'm like, okay, are we are we continuing to build up Solemn because we want it to be a bigger deal than? It has been so far. I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure if I'm completely on board yet. So, like, also with that page, right? So, you've got that very last page. He's like, this is how I lost my fucking nose. Solemn fucked me. So, like, did Solemn, like, fuck him in the nose? Or, like, like right. did Solemn fuck his nose off? Because, like, he's sitting well, there in the panel below. And, it like, he's sitting there. And it looks like he's holding a big giant dildo right next to his glowing head <laughs> eyes. So, I'm like, what's going on? What's going on with this? I, I was just kind of absorbed by the fact that he uses a sticker for a nose <laughs> <laughs> right i'm like uh yeah he just pulls off his <laughs> it was a choice um i like it it's it's kind of funny especially for somebody of his particular alignment i guess uh, just to to have a sticker for a nose he comes from a technologically and 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 mutant power very advanced civilization and yet you couldn't get somebody to give you a little bit of rhinoplasty <laughs> like you couldn't afford a, a little bit of plastic surgery or threaten one of your fellow mutants into i don't know making it not a giant gaping wound like nope. what the shit and that's i think that's kind of like the the folly of some of the execution of bringing in the Iraqans, and that's perhaps even the folly of the era the era of Hawkspox, where like mm -hmm. everything is so big, it's really hard to manage the stage, right? Mm -hmm. But we find Logan now. Okay, I, I need to take take a step back because I do mm -hmm. think Kubert art is like highest form of the art. You know, I think I I'm long on record as saying my three favorite genres are horror, satire 
Fire and Soap Opera, which is why my favorite TV shows are like Twin Peaks and Desperate Housewives. Because even when the quality isn't exactly there, I'm getting the things that I I want from it. And I made some, I feel like perhaps more disparaging than I intended them to be, remarks about the execution of the story. Again, it's not that I don't like the book. It's just not what I felt I was promised. Mm-hmm. But in any moment of feeling disappointed by the payoff of my promise, there is something symbiotic about the way these two creators work together. You know, there's that famous saying that Morin Gibbons on Watchmen is definitive of the medium and that it's a symbiosis of pencil and pen, right? Mm. And I feel like, while they're probably not there yet, Percy and Kubert have a really phenomenal, almost romantic tension with the page. There's a lot more getting into sort of Kubert's natural desire to focus on hyper-detailing and then taking a huge step back and glossing over many of the details for a big splash. It's Mm -hmm. a dynamism that is from the heyday of guys like J.R.J.R. And it has all of the unique nuance an artist who has been in this industry 40 years would have. And I just really feel that these little rectangles of storytelling that Kubert has been putting more and more into these scripts are really filling it with a dynamic sequential sense of almost eight millimeter horror. And I feel like it's playing out a little bit like a horror, a little bit like a soap opera, and a little bit like a satire. And I am curious if it's maybe just me that thinks sometimes it's silly, but it's like probably silly on purpose, like a Garth Ennis comic, right? Mm. What do you guys think about how the art is telling a lot of the story on this title? I think that's part of my problem. And I say problem, not as, oh my God, giant problem. But like, that's part of my issue is that the art does have to tell so much of the story. It's supposed to tell you a lot of the subtext, uh, what's going on. um, without having to tell you what's going on and while it is it is beautiful i love i love the texture you can practically feel the walls and the clothing and you know the darkness um and the grunginess kind of around at at times i think it loses the storyline just a little bit because either it decides to kind of really deviate (laughs) or it leaves something out that's being said in the word bubbles but there's nothing to uh back it up or really give it meat in the in the visual behind it so i'm coming up with a good amount of the story but part of me is just going why wait why do i care about this particular character why are they giving me more and more and more when i really want them to refine and and work with a lot of the characters they already have because we keep getting these brilliant beautiful very fierce characters and then they suddenly fade into the distance like um bay the seducer and and solemn yeah and you know war pestilence you know you got all these really great dynamic characters and i have yet to really hear more from bay other than her being in the background and being doug's wife you know what i mean i'm i'm missing the yeah. i'm missing 
in the follow through, if that can, if that makes sense. So I love the art on a lot of things, but sometimes the art and the and the words don't seem cohesive. See, I, I would say for this issue, like I feel kind of the opposite. I think the art sort of amplified the story for me, um, especially when you look at the part where he's going to Truant's Cove, right? His story is talking about, you know, how Madripoor pretends to be civilized, how they, they've got, you can at least go to a restaurant, they might stab you in the back or like serve you some poison, poison. fish. <laughs> but you're going to the Truant's Cove and it's a really, truly like, like almost like Savage Land kind of place. But it's, the text doesn't show you that, but the art really conveys how chaotic this floating city is. Yes, so like, Captain Logan Sparrow. <laughs> so in, in this part, like especially, I think that the art really worked well to elevate the story to something it wouldn't have been if you had like a lesser art on. Yeah, I, I agree as well with, with Nathan that uh, I feel that the art really did help to build that uh the environment that logan was going into everything from madripoor it, it felt thin kind of sleazy and then you get to truant's cove and it's rough and sharp it just feels dangerous in a different way that than the madripoor scenes felt so it yeah. feels like the isla de la muerte in uh yeah. yeah you know what it kind of reminds me of like if skeletor built a floating city that's exactly what i think it would look like <laughs> you're not wrong you're, you're not wrong <laughs> that because is the boat got a big ram head fantastic. oh my well, but God. that was that was the giant pirate's particular boat that wasn't necessarily well, yeah, but still <laughs> I'm sure he just went, I'm going to plop this here. <laughs> For me, I, you know, sometimes books feel like I didn't get enough story or like we didn't progress mm -hmm. very much and, and we didn't get, you know, like you, sometimes you're, you're kind of left with like eh, wanting more, like maybe just not quite satisfied. And for me, this issue felt like there was so much story packed in and the, the way that the art is telling that story in a lot of subtle ways, it provides a lot of action in a small amount of time. And it doesn't mm -hmm. feel like we sacrifice anything with that there there are some subtleties with like because we're getting some flashbacks we're getting some memories we're getting like you know some some stories of this time put in you know, in the present and there are some little things that are done with the art to differentiate them it's not like in your face overwhelming distinctions but like really like i said really kind of subtle and i really appreciate that like it's a nice thing to go back and kind of really pour over with the differences like just i mean just for instance like when they just the one scene where you see christian's body in the water and the way it's framed by this really rough blue edge and and around the rest of the story is you know these nice clean boxes and i feel like that really adds to that story you know like the you know taking taking note of something right as horrific as someone's death mm -hmm. and it's in one panel but it, it's giving it a lot so for me the art is really working well to tell this story to tell a lot of story in a short amount of time because like honestly overall this feels like this should have been like a week worth of <laughs> investigating and and sleuthing and and real i think this is technically all one day you know like the day after the hellfire gala and it's a lot but i mean it's you know definitely doable in this this era with the the gates and and things like that but yeah it just uh for me i it was it was a big win with the art and the story so like one weird thing though that like just comes to mind looking just looking at these pages of art like how beautifully destroyed the marauder is Mm -hmm. But it feels like if you're going to destroy the Marauder, like to destroy it in 
in, you know, Wolverine and not Pages of the Marauders seems like trying to destroy the Defiant in Star Trek First Contact. You're like, how are they going to mm-hmm. fix that? Like, well, and that's that's hugely a thing that I was going to ask. That was like legitimately my next question. And I love that you guys kind of that we all kind of read the same things while having very different opinions on them means the creative team really did their job because they painted a picture that we're all reacting to, right? And I am so eager to understand how the Marvel Universe is changing and how the X-Universe in specific is changing to kind of more realistically share elements of storytelling. We spent about 15 years where everybody wanted to do their own gaming, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. wanted to be Gaiman on Sandman. Everybody wanted to be Ennis on Hellblazer. Everybody wanted to be JMS on Spider-Man. It was sort of this sense of there should always be a dynastic run. And we've hit a point where instead, the writers today, not looking to create a singular myopic view of a microcosmic interpretation of a macrocosmic idea, instead, they're working to create a communal space by where story elements are shared more readily. To wit, we've seen it especially with, I would say, predominantly the non-male members of the Marvel writing staff, and that's, of course, Teeny and Leah, who are probably, I think, the only two main female writers on X-Men currently, and then, of course, Vita Ayala being one of the only non-binary writers in comics, kind of, period, right? Right, Vita! And I feel as though this sense of shared universe is perhaps what telegraphed that Jerry Dugan was going to get X-Men. Once we heard that the Hellfire Gala was going to find itself nestled in the bosom of Marauders, as that's where it began to leak in sort of into our culture, into our, you know, our zeitgeist, right? That that's where Jumbo Carnation and Emma first said the words Hellfire Gala. So it makes me wonder, do we think Ben Percy is going to find himself in charge of perhaps a higher profile book? Or is this a little bit more of the good-natured, good-spirited handoffness that the writers have been employing to great success? I personally think it's probably a little bit of both with a little bit more watchful of an eye on Ben Percy's future. So it's, it's maybe not 50-50. I maybe think it's a little bit more setting him up for bigger and brighter and better. What do you guys think? I think the opposite, actually. I do think a little bit of both, but I think more in the column of the shared, at least like Krokoan era Marvel universe. I th- okay, feel so like that's one Nico is right, one Dante is wrong. Okay, please continue. <laughs> I think that this book right now with this story is really benefiting from that overlap. Up to this point, I feel like with this this title and I'm going to throw in Cable a little bit for a good chunk of the run. It, they just felt so separate from everything else that was happening. And mm. in this era when there has been so many great moments of overlap, you're seeing the x-factor team in a different book or you know in excalibur and and you know like little things are kind of moving across the you know the different storylines i love that i love that interweaving of of characters and story and wolverine for me didn't have that it felt so separate and i love seeing that here i love yeah i you know i kind of agree with raven we've had a lot of uh, different iraqi mutants and we haven't really gotten to develop them enough to really enjoy them but i do still appreciate that we're seeing a Rocky Mutants. I mean, we're talking about how many hundreds of thousands, millions, I don't know. So obviously we we should be seeing a lot of very 
variation on characters. We should be seeing, you know, so many different characters represented. So I love that we're still seeing that here. I appreciate that one of my big complaints in the last Marauders issue was like, why isn't Emma talking about her brother? That's stupid to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, that should be the thing that she cares about. So seeing that, you know, obviously the story, the fact that she would care about her brother was not something that was forgotten. It was going to be picked up here. And the story continued. And obviously she's interjecting herself, right? And considering the situation, it makes sense that Emma would be like, you're working for us now. I need you to do this because it's her brother. It's her boat, just like she says. Like she has a vested interest, but Wolverine is already on the case. So she's taking advantage of that. To me, that all makes sense. It shows that connection that exists between all these characters, all these books that we have. So I don't see that Percy is getting ready to move on to something else, another project necessarily. I feel like he's really kind of cementing what he's doing and incorporating more of what's happening with other books uh, i feel like that's grounding him to continue wolverine i have an unpopular p uh, opinion so i'll 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 be last <laughs> i'll say that yeah i just feel like i'm repeating what dante says i definitely feel like ben percy is kind of solidifying where he is with X-Force and Wolverine. Specifically, yeah, because how separate Wolverine has been. But it's... it's Wolverine is weird because it's separate, but it has tied into the last two no it didn't tie into king of black no but it did into ten of it swords did it, it was... did do ten of ten of swords yeah so... and it was two issues of ten of swords and it was mm -hmm. effectively a two-parter with x-force yep. in the hellfire gala so i do see your point it has a lot of connective fiber yeah so i i can see him trying to keep this book in with the rest of the reign of x continuity um but i don't really feel like it's prepared Preparing him to move on to something else. Kyle and I, really quickly, Kyle and I obviously uh, are the same person, so I'll start working on <laughs> developing a different personality for the rest of the episode and maybe going forward, <laughs> so there's not quite as much overlap. But you, you know what, you're right, Kyle, and thank you for pointing out, like, uh, when, when <laughs> thank I you was for pointing saying, out how right I am. <laughs> <laughs> No, thank you for pointing out specifically, like, when there are crossover events, yeah, Wolverine has been tied into it because those books are earmarked as crossover. But his, the other stories that we've experienced previous to this, like, it's, when it's just a Wolverine story, it feels like it's just Wolverine doing his own thing, completely separate from Krakoa, from other mutants. Like, it feels, so, it has felt to me so separate, minus the fact that, yeah, we've had a couple crossover events or, or other big events to draw the book into that, you know, they wanted to use the book that for me is where there's a distinction like if it if it wasn't for those events happening would wolverine be as entangled with other other krakoan things i feel like up to this point no it feels like this this book has been like what's wolverine doing alone in the middle of you know no fuck nowhere um no fuck nowhere <laughs> <laughs> it really always is snow fuck nowhere <laughs> Well, because it's the Canada relationship that Kyle ships so hard. Uh, yeah. Honey, I mean, he could be Wolverine. in the middle of Southern California in a heat wave. It'd still be fucking snowing around him ankle ah, deep. So much <laughs> just, so, just so he could fall to his knees in the snow, bleeding, and go, why, Gene? <laughs> 
and then have a flashback to to freaking Weapon X. <laughs> so Nathan, now that now that we've had the the whole setup where uh, you have to put on the the metal brief and the the you know fuck boy virtual helmet. Uh... <laughs> Wait, where's this comic? I want to read this comic. That's the Weapon X look. That's, I was that's like, that's the... Weapon X. You, I'm sure you've read this comic already. That's, that's Barry Windsor Smith's love affair with being tied up. That's a yeah, thousand percent. But I wouldn't call that helmet. So I wouldn't much. call that helmet. Fuckboy helmet, but like, okay. No, no, it is a VR fuckboy helmet. It is it's a really VR fuckboy helmet. It is like lawnmower man. Where it's it's a lot. Yeah, I never realized how much I need to own that VR fuckboy helmet till this moment. So thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pictures or it didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> I, I think at my jackedest, I plan the day that I look in the mirror and go, "I'm just so big." That's the day I'm just going to do a Weapon X cosplay. I'm just going to put a pair of briefs on and attach the magnets to it and i'm gonna get that fuckboy helmet and i'm just gonna run around the convention going (laughs) nathan good luck oh right wow i don't know that i could top any of that but like so is is percy taking on more plots to get ready to move on you know i i kind of hope so because it's not that I don't like his writing style. Percy's writing style is great, but I just think that I don't love the direction that Wolverine is going. I think that in setting up more of this, uh, these storylines, you know, like maybe leave it open to other people. I, I just think the X-Force crew and Wolverine don't gel as well as I would rather see Wolverine interact more with maybe his old Krakoan bunch, you know? Like, he doesn't really like X-Force, except for maybe Sage, because like I think they're the same person just like sage doesn't drink molson she drinks like paps but like <laughs> other than that like I no nah, let's be honest she's a white claw girl and there's oh, nothing I was about wrong to say. with being a mango white claw girl Mango White Claw girls <laughs> took all of us to the prom. Mango White Claw girls took care of us when we had too much to drink at the prom. So Mango White Claw girls can get it. Yeah, see, I'm older, so those were Zemo girls back then. So like, <laughs> I love right? so much. <laughs> right? so, like, Zemo girls did that, but okay. I, guess, I had two Zemo girls. colors. Like, oh my Stop but like it. Sage is whatever you want, whatever era you are. If she's a Zima girl, a Bacardio, or a White Claw girl, mm-hmm. Sage is that girl. Even though she's like the really snarky one, who like you know you kind of want to hang out with the club, but you know you don't really want to. But um, yeah, I I just I would love to see a new direction of this, and I, I do want to see the inclusion of the Solomark, but I would love to see something fresh come into Wolverine because the storytelling for Wolverine seems mirrored mired in the seems stuck in the eighties, stuck in the nineties, stuck in the nineties. It's stuck in the nineties, the eighteen nineties, or yeah, back when Raven was a (laughs) hundred. Back when it was bitch, I was so much older than that. (laughs) So that does bring me to kind of the God. We're going on like an hour and a half of this episode, and we were just here to talk about Wolverine, which is famously our shortest running segment. So, Wait a minute. Did, I'm sorry. You brought sorry, me on. You thought this was going to be short? <laughs> sorry, but I think Raven had a controversial point to make. Yeah, I gotta get been waiting. Oh my God. Oh God. I did it to Nathan. Now I did it to Raven. I'm just going to combine 
them into Naven or Raven, <laughs> and I'm just going to ignore them both at once. Oh, okay, don't worry. Raven. I'm a fat black woman. Sorry. I'm used to talking straight the Thanks, fuck over you white Nico. people. Wait, what? <laughs> I do believe that is game, set, match. And at this point, <laughs> Waluigi puts down the racket. So <laughs> we lost. Boo. So so okay. So here's my controversial point. Just I went back and binge read all of Wolverine from one to fourteen, and I can honestly say without a doubt, Wolverine is simply a jumping off point for other comics. He ties I into really everything. He that. does not finish any of his storylines or or even give them a reasonable conclusion slash continuity uh he his his this comic is literally just a jumping off point for every other comic book and trying to fill plot holes desperately here and there and i i love it but yeah the the continuity on this thing is (laughs) whatever the x team needs it to be at that moment Raven, you and I tend to agree too much, so I don't really put us in a lot of the same rooms, because even though we come at it from very different perspectives, we frequently have the same kind of opinion, right? So I've actually been saying very similar in other rooms where I've been talking about how I've been doing a reread of all of Hox Pox, mm-hmm. and it feels like certain books are meant to be transitory. Mm-hmm. They're meant just to kind of carry the story yeah. to the next logical point. And it really does feel like it's at the cost of the book's identity. even when it's super quality you know i hadn't really i'd really seen it for cable and i'd perhaps felt that way for x force sometimes which seems like it only exists to gritty up the characters Mm -hmm. but i you know it's really true of wolverine as well and i do see that because like we were we started this fucking thing by saying (laughs) where has solemn been Mm-hmm. So I'm with it. Now, I believe we were told this is a three-part arc. I'm, I'm really hoping that this was a secret prelude, and we're going to get three issues following this. Because if I'm only going to get two more issues of Solemn, I, you know, I can live with it. I'm not, I'm not feeling angry or anything, but I certainly feel at a loss perhaps for the character that I was really excited about. There was something dangerous and exciting about Solemn. We made a lot of jokes about how he feels very much like the right kind of dirty, sexy, you know, some sort of weird, dangerous liaisons kind of, you know, don't you wish I'd fuck you even though I'm your sister kind of (laughs) sexuality at Wolverine. Wait, was that that Nightcrawler? I mean, sorry. No, that was that was Sarah Michelle Geller in Dangerously in what uh, is it Cruel Intentions? No, Cruel Intentions. I was about to say, girl, that's Cruel Intentions right there. We're talking comics right? and it's, your it's, sister. I was like Nightcrawler. It's, okay, it's Dangerous Liaisons and it's uh, Liaisons Dangerous and it's Cruel Intentions and it's Cruel Intentions schools out and it's uh, Cruel Intentions three, the music video for a Total Eclipse of the Heart, and you know it's 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 all. It's all a rich tapestry of disappointment. So I just, (laughs) I really want to see Solemn come due on that promise. I feel like one of the things we've all really been befuggled by is how disappointed we are that there hasn't been a bit more fanfare over the fact that we lost Sabretooth. And I'm not like, we lost Sabretooth. I'm like, no, like, we lost Logan's nemesis. Mm-hmm. And it is a hole that is felt quite heavily throughout <laughs> the... I mean, and he's falling down it at this moment. But it is, it is certainly a 
specter looming over the plenipotentiary quality of Logan's storytelling. How do you guys feel about this arc, knowing that we have two or three issues to go, and we got one panel of Solemn, and that's kind of why we all signed up for this thing. That was not a panel of Solemn. No. I'm sorry, that was was not. No, no, that was not. I am going to say this. I don't have very high hopes at this point that it's going to be anything momentous when it comes to Solemn. Just based off the way that they built him up in Ten of Swords, his mm-hmm. appearance in it fell completely flat. Mm-hmm. He, he barely showed up there. And with him being teased in this issue and not showing up at all, I, I don't have hope. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this issue has left Kyle feeling hopeless and bereft of joy. Lord. Um, no, and I, I do get it. I get it. I'm just being playful because I love you. And um, oh, I yeah. love you. Oh, shut the fuck up. I'm going to save that in a special file. So <laughs> yeah, I think it's a situation where we were all really excited about Solemn and now we're kind of worried that we won't get more. You know, I, I'm really eager to hear what the rest of you think as well because we've had a really, this is probably the longest Wolverine discussion we've ever had on the show. And that really does reflect the, again, potential of this material and the quality of the creators working on it, even if it's not quite syncing up right. How do the rest of you feel? Uh, honestly, I don't have a lot of hope that they're going to flesh out Solemn because when we were first sort of introduced to him um, in Ten of Swords, he was really built up like this ancient version of Mr. Sinister. So very smooth, very charismatic, able to manipulate, like this this deep trickster who could fucking outmaneuver you before you even knew it. Like, hey, y'all. He was supposed to be so deliciously good. <laughs> like and that's what I that's what I'm, I'm hoping cut. for. <laughs> exactly. Uh. Like he's he's like, oh don't worry. This is this is going to be the knife that, you know, kills you. You know, like that or oh what and was I'm it? War, serve you a cake with it. War handed him the blade that uh killed her husband and said, you know, I hope you fall into such deep despair that you use it on yourself. And what does he do? No, no. He sits there in the lap of luxury. People bringing him things. He keeps the dagger under his freaking under his freaking pillow and when war shows up not only does he taunt her to her face about her husband's death she pulls out the blade and like "Mm, i guess i could use this and it's like oh my god you could see her almost losing her shit and it's like there's so much potential with this character and yet i'm not seeing any follow through which makes me exceedingly sad and the fact that we didn't really even get him in this issue when that was kind of what we were promised i'm like yeah uh, I it feels like I'm getting catfished here. <laughs> Buy a comic book at that. Uh, I, I think my thoughts uh, are... So- Neil, Neve, Max, <laughs> Neve, Max, Cammy, Cammy, we're being catfished. Neve, Max, Cammy, I'm being catfished. <laughs> Buy a comic book, help me. Neve, Cammy? Well, come on. When you put Solomon on the cover, I expect Solomon inside. And there was none. I, I I just I need to explain that my husband and I started Catfish and we watched all eight seasons in like a month and a half oh, because I became so in. So there's this really disturbing joke from uh, I mean it's truly disturbing and it's and it's hideous and it should have been cut from syndication. But there's this joke from Golden Girls where Rose is talking about how cheap her boyfriend is and she says that he takes her to AA meetings as after dinner entertainment. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> he calls it theater of the living 
that's so right. Oh. It's so wrong, but kind of like um, that's what I was. That's what I was likening it to. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, great. Okay, I mean, who hasn't wrong. talked about their hopelessness <laughs> yet? <laughs> I'm so hopeless on the no. Okay, uh, so. So, like, okay, here's the thing. Anytime you hype somebody up to be, like, the next great, like, supervillain of Wolverine's life, like, now that we've got, now that Sabretooth's in the hole and not the good kind, like, you know, like, uh, they're, they're trying to hype Solemn up to be something that he can never be. They're not letting it organically take the place. I didn't get that from the Ten of Swords arc, and I'm not sure that we're going to get that from this. All, all I'm looking forward to from this arc is a lot more, like, Skeletor Waterworld vibes going on and like you know like maybe to see how the guy lost his nose by solemn and you know let's rack up let's wrap up these iraqi on earth and get them to mars send them to mars no i'm just kidding we don't want to send all the iraqi to mars but like let's get let's let's get this arc wrapped up i don't think it's gonna set solemn up to be the huge arc nemesis of wolverine's life because it's never gonna be anybody but sabertooth and as soon as they get sabertooth out of the hole like he can just like go up to logan bit on him and say you're mine again (laughs) yes daddy i mean what i mean that was almost that was almost canon yeah Sabretooth is almost his dad so i cannot think of any better moment to end on (laughs) ladies and gentlemen thank you for being part of the longest recording of wolverine Uh, in the history of this okay someone not go it's my turn to be ignored apparently (laughs) i fucking hate this I was like, oh, I thought we I'm were done. the same person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't you go, Kyle Dante? Oh my gosh, you're right. We're the He's same person. Dante. He's playing the music. You better get off the stage. You better stay your speech quick. He <laughs> talks like twice as much as everybody else. I forgot about that. I, um, I'd like to thank the Academy. I mean, <laughs> oh my God. am I getting played off? No. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you uh, to the region of Seoul. Uh, thank you to uh, No Nosed Blackmore. Uh, and this you. Grammy goes out to the vocal coach that said, I sucked at singing Anything Goes. Lick my boot, bastard. <laughs> I swear to God, if they make Anything a cut the goes. nose off to spite the fake joke, I will die. I Okay, Where's everything everyone just done? said was amazing, but we need to talk about the fact that Dante just absolutely broke into a little bit of deep patty and <laughs> busted good. out some Anything Goes. In olden the, days when glimpse of stockings were caught up with something shocking to me. Mm-hmm. So you know like Anything Goes. goes. <laughs> I am, I am oh, beleaguered with pride. You better you keep guys. that in. Oh my god, <laughs> I, I, I can't even. And deep cut. I always think that anything goes. So no, I always think "Let Yourself Go" from Kristen Chenoweth's solo album mm-hmm. sounds an uncomfortable amount. Like anything goes, <laughs> uncomfortable. It's crazy. So anyway, anyway, Dante. Well, the I'm stupid so thing is, the first place I heard anything goes was on uh, uh, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. Oh my Guys, that's hilarious. I think the first place I ever saw it was obsessively watching old VHSs of Tony performances. Oh wow! No, I was that kind of gay. Yeah, yeah. apparently. See, I learned my song just from the Golden Girl, so I'm like, "Am I blue?" Sorry. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> to differentiate myself from Kyle, I was going to do my Ben Percy impersonation before oh, yes, Nico Daddy. completely forgot about me. 
god. So, that sounds about like my old man river impression. So old I'm, man river. This is just like the Dante variety hour, everybody. I'm going to change into some fucking amazing Bob Mackies while Dante just serenades real quick. Right? Just so La. you know, I'm, I'm also sitting at home doing pancakes, so I really am the full package. Ooh. I'm... <laughs> Package me, give me, give me, tell me. <laughs> so thankfully, I have a differing opinion from Kyle. So we are apparently not the exact same person. So you guys basically are North Star and Aurora. You were kind of the same person, kind of shared a brain. One of you developed a different personality with a much deeper voice, and then now you guys are just your own people again. Oh my um, god! Now if they touch each other, their powers negate. <gasps> it's beautiful. Oh my goodness! Well, I love this journey for us. This is really exciting, Kyle. It's we're so gonna sexy. Me too. <laughs> me too. Okay, so to get back on track, I am still excited to see Solemn. I think that Solemn is actually going to be the payout that I am hoping for. I have hope. I'm still hopeful. As much as the catfish is still kind of like, ugh, come on. We like we deserved better really? than that. I don't needs I do still think that the push for Solemn to be Wolverine's, you know, new nemesis and his big bad, I think that was the wrong direction to to take with introducing the character. I mean, because like that that all of that was outside of continuity. That was like literally advertisements, not anything in the comics itself to really set that up. I mean I mean, if anything, like Solemn has been a means to an end for Wolverine, right? Like there's been a beneficial relationship there. Solemn is Wolverine's friends with Bennies or frenemies <laughs> or whatever. Friend, friend of Bennies. with Bennies? <laughs> oh, he's yeah. going to stick him with his pole? Okay. <laughs> Probably. I mean, it's solemn, so yes. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so excited for the character. I feel like what we got, which to me was not enough, still was very enticing. I like the characterization. I like that there's this like kind of sexy, sleazy, do whatever the fuck he needs to to get what he wants attitude. And I I, I want more of that. I, I, I need a little bit more of that. Like it's Vince Vaughn, if he could pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, oh, God. Oh, God. Like the opposite of Vince Vaughn. <laughs> Vaughn Vincent? Vaughn Vincent. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back. Now, this last segment was so important to me to do a certain way. Arturo has been on the show for so long at this point, and the first thing that like really like resonated with excitement was how passionate he was about this cable could be strife theory. And while it does seem that that is not how things have panned out, ultimately, there is something truly so exciting about seeing a story through to its conclusive ending, even if the fan theory didn't match what hit the page. We loved this coverage, and we hope you guys do too. As always, making this show is a blast for you guys, at least twice a week, every week. So until next time, guys, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open, and we will see ya. And welcome back to X's for Podcasts. I'm your co-host, Arturo. And joining me today, I've got Steve, Juancho, and Josh. Say hi, guys. Hello, I'm Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. Hi, I'm Juancho. You can find me on Twitter at Lost in Krakoa. My name is Josh Wheel. You can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L on Twitter and asleepatthewheel.com. And for the next two years as the progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate in the state of Florida, you can find me across social media at Wheel, the number four U.S. Senate, and at joshwheel.org. And like I said, I'm Arturo, and you can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. 
And today we are tackling the grand finale to Jerry Dugan's epic Cable, written by Jerry Dugan with Phil Noto as artist and VCs Joe Sabino as letterer. We begin the 12th and final chapter of the series, picking up right where we left off with OG Cable and Strife facing off, surrounded by hordes of Strife's demon army. Strife's got the old man on the ropes when suddenly Kid Cable and the cavalry show up to save the day. All right, guys, let's get into it. Talk to me because uh, if if unless this is the your first episode listening, probably heard me talk a lot about Cable and Strife. I'm, I had a lot of feelings about this this issue. I'm kind of glad we had a little bit of a delay in recording because it helped me kind of process this more. But I want to hear from you guys before before I start rambling about it. Uh, Steve, what how did how did this hit for you? It was it was fine. I I know I don't sound particularly enthusiastic about it. I think it was like a kind of a satisfying end to the series and it wrapped up kind of what the series was about if it didn't necessarily hit like super hot for me because I mean I maybe wanted other things from the series a little bit and uh just I don't know there's there was some like weird tone stuff towards the end I think but otherwise it was you know it was like a fine wrap up to the issue I thought it was competently done and it did what it set out to do in in a lot of ways what about you Josh I feel like I poisoned you yes I I was a big fan I was delighted by this issue if I wasn't going to get the kid strife that you had promised me then this is about as good as it could be and I do grade this a little bit on a curve because I think that what we see here from Jerry Duggan is an amazing job of wrapping up a series of giving an end to something that didn't really have a dedicated beginning, right? And I don't know if it's because we were distracted by how unfocused New Mutants was at the time, or if, you know, in some ways, I think we thought this was focused. And then it just, you know, we made excuses because, well, you know, it got hit by crossovers too early, and it's going to get back on track, you know, after X-Swords. But I mean, this is a book that started out, remember, we were like, oh, this book's going to have Pixie and Broccoli Boy, like, look, it's going to be Cable with like the other kids. And and it just became something else. Um, it definitely felt like it was meandering and buying itself time. Um, like it was just going on a, a little kind of farewell tour, running through with the other characters. It felt like it was laying us seeds for Kid Strife, but it never really felt like it knew what it was in terms of Kid Cable. I did like that it always felt like a book. It felt like an honest teenage boy, and it felt like a book for teenage X fans, which which I like. But it, it really, really really was a little kind of scattered and lost in terms of what it was trying to do. And I think not only did it manage to wrap up Kid Cable, but it cleaned up a lot of continuity hiccups from extermination. It it gave us the old man. It gave us the possibility of bringing back Kid Cable anytime we need in the future. It gave us possibility of an endless line of future alt cables and alt strifes popping up at any time. It gave us a baby strife. We'll get there. Yep. It's uh, a, a much better close to the Esme story. Esme, who had just been getting, man, like the book was treating her like a doormat in a way that was somewhat true in the way that like dumbass teenage boys treat their teenage girlfriends. But man, she got some strong resolution that I loved so much. Um, it it yeah. delivered. It delivered the characters. It delivered in terms of, you know, giving us things for the future, opening doors for the future, cleaning up messes from the past and delivering for the characters in the present, which I mean, that's a lot for an issue to 
do that is wrapping up its 12th, but was clearly not designed as a 12-issue maxi series. Exactly. And, and no, and I, I, I agree with literally, I agree with everything you were saying there. Like, I feel like Jerry had the the mission or, or the directive to ultimately bring back the old man i think that's about as defined as it was and i feel like that decision was made and that was what was going to happen and then how he got there was not this you know intricate architectural you know roadmap it was i i think meandering is is the right word for it um and i agree that yeah. and just honestly happened. A really good job <laughs> the way the way i up. feel about yeah. this is we yeah, heard it just sort of happened like the light of god that's a great example of like him just throwing shit out there and like eh. we heard jordan d white uh around the time this was released explain that we were getting a wolverine in a cable series as the first solo even though people were clamoring for a hundred different x characters to get solo titles because these are the two that historically have been the the best sellers and are characters that people have wanted or invested in solo titles the longest and look there was obviously a lot of places you could go exploring kid cable um in a solo title this book mm-hmm. didn't necessarily go to all of them right but it, it had that i, I hindsight 2020 now that we finished this would say definitely that this was jerry jerry was told that you know he had to open this up and start something and it might go as long as it needs based on the success of the title and what you know success of other titles but eventually you're gonna end it and bring back the old man and i don't think he knew that that was 12 issues when he started this i think that probably somewhere around issue eight or so it became clear that he was moving towards this end at this time with you know one more crossover and you know with establishing sword and a hellfire gala in between but we were going to wrap and this you thing know up what? and to his yeah. credit to his credit i think the most unexpected thing happened is because of how jerry wrote this character everybody kind of warmed up to him like now it's you're it's kind of you're bummed to see him go and it's nice that I agree with you that he tied it all up, but left enough openings. And like, that's, I think, a really important thing when you're working on, you know, shared IP. Like, it's not about just burning down bridges and being like, I'm the one that killed whoever or whatever. It's about telling your story and then leaving it in a place so somebody can pick it up. Somebody can come grab this thread or that thread and like do something with it. And I think he did a really good job of that. I think the Esme and Old Man Cable you know, ending up happily ever after and like the kind of time paradox head fuck that if you really start looking at a timeline and trying to make sense of it, I think that's a good thing. If you're writing about, you know, time travel and timelines, it's good that he didn't make it like definitive. He left plenty of stuff kind of for interpretation because like, I'm not sure exactly when those two are together in the future and it looks like they're living in new york and it's not uh you know some post-apocalyptic whatever but who knows it's, it's good that he left that stuff open-ended Juan, what, what about you how did you what, what are your takes on this so i mean i like the issue a lot and the series as a whole was okay because more than like an action book it was like the um slice of life sort of book that everyone wanted just with the summers and like people people always want like a pixie whatever and the magic whatever and an eye boy whatever but i mean we have to understand that this is an industry and unique comics to sell so obviously the cable is a hugely popular character and you go with that but i think 
I agree with with Josh that the series doesn't really have like a like a plot based. It's not plot based, more like character driven. Like stories just go somewhere, but not necessarily somewhere that was planned. But I enjoyed it mostly because it gave us a new version of Cable, the like happy Cable, you know. And it gave us like a glimpse into how Krakoa is different for everyone, like how it makes him happy, how it makes like Scott. He's now a subway making dad, and and Jean's like talking with with Cable's girl friends and all that and i thought i thought that was pretty fun and the other thing that like really um stuck to me there's a line at the end of the issue that where the old cable says to the kid cable that if you want something good you gotta work for it yeah that was my favorite line too yeah, I think that's the best line of the entire series. And I think it works like for Krakoa. Like Cable sort of maybe knows what happens, but he can tell you because we have to see what happens. The writers and the characters have to work to save mutants and to make Krakoa work. And I, I thought that was the best part of it. And like what I take from the series is is that that's what I take from it. I think I think I one of the cool things that that uh, that Dugan did with this series is or was all of these little red herrings. You know, I mean, it had me, you know, connecting, you know, threads and 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 stuff, and and doing like a, a conspiracy, you know, board. But it's cool that he did that. He laid that stuff out there, and then at the end, he kind of you know winked and nodded at all of it. Like for me, one of my favorite lines in it is when he grabs at the end when they're they're on the space station and he grabs Kid Cable by the arm and he goes, here, give me that obsolete shit. And he like just <laughs> pops that arm off because for a second, you know, and I will direct you to my conspiracy board for a second, you know, going back to uh, Ten of Swords. When Cable cut his thumb on his left hand, that was like one of the big clues. Like maybe it's maybe that's not Cable, maybe it's Strife. And Cable saying, "Here, give me that obsolete piece of shit," and just popping it off and showing, like, "Nope, it is Bionic." It's infuriating to me that that red herring was just like either an, a mistake, like a happy accident, or just like you know, just a, a blatant lie. Or, I don't know, but I took it's, that. It's I a round that as like him. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a Ralph Boner. Yeah, yeah, it's a real uh, Ralph Boner. Yeah, I was talking with with Arturo. That I mean, for whatever reason, it seems that all the stories we're enjoying right now that people go too crazy into theories and and the conspiracy boards and all that. And I think that detracts from the enjoyment of the moment. You know, when you get too wrapped up in oh shit, there's gonna be a huge reveal at episode nine or issue eleven, then you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. You know? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think it's I think that's like part of the fun is is playing with that. But you have to, you, you, I agree with you, but I do think like you have to take the story for what it is. Like it's okay to have those theories. Like I, I had mentioned to one, I can think of exactly two other times where I felt disappointed with, with a story because I just like the fan theories more. And that was, uh, with star Wars. I was hoping that, um, that Snoke was going to be revealed as Darth Plagueis, the wise that was like dropped, you know, in episode three from the prequels, he was the, the Sith Lord who had like found immortality. I was like, that would be so cool if they brought him back, tied it all together. And I will defend that to the day. I in fairness, like, that, that just been would have been more interesting than Snoke just yeah, being like just a clone of whatever, like, just and the emperor coming back you know anyways and the other time is game of thrones you build for years this whole story about john snow half targaryen half uh um what's the other one from winterfell come on somebody stark 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 half stark, stark half targaryen 
unite the lands. Like it was right there. It was such a beautiful story. And then instead they're like, psych, give you King Brand. Nobody wanted that. Like, so I (laughs) hear you. I think fan theories sometimes suck, but like, you know, sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's really better than the material. And I I still think, you know, Kid Strife would have been really cool. But after revisiting this issue, I accepted it. And I, and, and now I see it for what it is. And I, and I enjoyed it on its terms. I think he did a good job of, of tying it all up. The light of Galador thing is bothering me because it feels like that didn't really have much purpose. But even that, he left a little bow on that. He's like, okay, that's wrapped up and somebody yeah. else can pick up at this new Galadorian planet whenever the fuck you want. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was under the impression that Space Knights like Rom from Galador were like people stuck inside of suits forever, not like techno-organic or something like at the end of this issue. That was it's a little cable. Bit Everything's techno-organic. And then he pops his whole arm off and I was like, wait, isn't that just his actual arm but techno-organic? Organic? What is going on here? <laughs> so, well, because he's got more control over the techno-organic virus now. Like so you can just pop it on off. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, what we're getting here is a lot of... I think this is meant to kind of give us a new precedent or a new kind of baseline for what this is. Because... Like, yes, like we thought or we've seen it so many different ways illustrated before. But what will it be moving forward from here? That's um, fair. And, and I like the way that he tied a lot of other things back. I mean, remember Bell, the AI in his arm was something that Jerry Duggan first introduced in his Uncanny Avengers run. Uh, the second volume of that or third or whatever the fuck. Like Jerry Duggan's run on Uncanny Avengers. Yeah, yeah we don't um, mention the, the, the good, one. the best of the <laughs> runs on Uncanny Avengers. <laughs> Um, we don't yeah, need to talk, talk about, about any of the other ones. We're going to talk about the other guy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the details, but my headcanon is that Bell is still Professor, but evolved and transitioned. So yeah. that's my headcanon. Yeah, this, Bell is but, funny. you know, him kind of paradoxing it with it and kind of seeing it come from, you know, the, the hidden ship or having it in there, kind of giving it as a, a starting point to it, tying it back to his Uncanny Avengers run here, I love. And, and I really loved, I think my, I mentioned earlier, my favorite page my favorite scene in this was the one with future Esme. And I love it for so many reasons. But one of the biggest is just that when we see Cable in the future, right? Like we know that Cable's future is actually like exponentially farther into the future. Like it is, it is like powers of 10 into the future, mm-hmm. right? Cable's Ascani right. Sun and Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix future is like a thousand years into the future. It's not like 50 years, 100 years into the future. But we see him drawn into these, you know, like it's grittier, New York City like you know whatever 50 100 years from now all the time and so I love that you know we've had that background like we've had him in like you know the brown barren you know apartment in future New York City not just in this book in flashbacks but plenty of times throughout history and the kind of using that to tie it in and show us that just behind the camera like from the perspective we weren't seeing in every one of these panels like Esme's been there. like like she's been there like this is why he goes and hangs out in this time like 40 50 years from now all the fucking time because this is where his girlfriend is i uh did not enjoy the esme page as much as ah! I, 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 
parts of the issue, um, but only because I don't think Cable and Esme have ever had any chemistry beyond attracted to each other teens, which is super fine. Totally cool. Whatever. Been there, done that. And just like, I don't know. It's just, they, they don't, when Cable's like, what did you ever see in me? She's like, you're just a dumb boy, I guess. Also, my sisters are more important. Like, okay, fine. But like, I can see them like continuing a relationship, but nothing is built up in these 12 issues that is of any substance going forward. And the idea of them like still being in love 50 years later, 40 years later, 30 years later is I guess romantic in like a teen fantasy sort of way. And I can understand where like younger fans of the series might really, that might really appeal to them. But like the idea for me that they like were in love for like all this time and she kept the necklace or whatever was a little much, I thought for how bare bones their connection was in this series. I would love to see more developed, but I like this kind of like faded romance is always kind of like weird to me where it's like, let's not also forget that this means that our boy, Nathan Christopher Dayspring Ascani's son Summer, who spent some of his formative years living in a, a poly household, now spent much of his adult life married to a woman and, and having a family in one timeline, and then going back to continue banging his teenage girlfriend in another part of time. So don't worry about it too much. Spe- speaking <laughs> about the poly household, how great is it that uh, that Kid Cable calls in the marker Logan owes me from our fight back in the quarry? In the quarry logan's had enough hard goodbyes to last 10 lifetimes he'll get them through it and there's logan coming that was through nice. the sun yeah, that part was just weird guy. see now i thought that part was weird I like that. that was cute like, see wait, i thought that was wait, cute wait, i was like wait, oh yeah his mom is banging to bring a six-pack and comfort his dad after yeah. he's like Logan yes. only knows how to deal with problems yes. one way and it's bring a sixer. Here you go. I got beer. Does that fix it? Let's drink it together. Stabbing <laughs> or beer? Beer is his alternative. Stabbing and beer are the only stabbing to it. Maybe smoking, maybe playing cards. Definitely while stabbing or having beer. Wolverine playing <laughs> cards only ever fucking. creates more problems. Yeah, I love that. That was oh, like one, of, one of my no. favorite parts of the, of the little wrap-up. Wait, I do want to say one one panel or you know a whole page that just absolutely killed me and really felt like a personal attack directly from Jerry Dugan. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. When they have, I think we know, yeah. When they've defeated, when they've defeated Strife, they've got him dead to rights, and he 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 begs for amnesty. He says, I see now you guys are stronger together. Krakoa is for all mutants. And they blow this guy the fuck away. Like for a moment, I was like, oh, maybe that's what we're going to get. Are we going to get strife? Are we going to get not the strife I wanted, but maybe a strife? Absolutely not. Now, here's what I would have loved to have seen. Strife, come back to Krakoa and join the Hellions. Imagine Strife dealing with Sinister and all his shenanigans. Like, I really, really what did you think about the, that. What did you think about the little Strife twin babies? The little twin mutant babies that Strife cloned and apparently have Strife powers, maybe? So, if if the one Strife that, uh, to Smithereens was, was Jerry Dugan the, attacking the families. Me, then the little baby strife, the little baby strife was his way of saying, you know, no hard feelings. Uh, and, and I accept, yeah, that was I accept it graciously. I will take, I will take baby strife because, you know, I, and you know, I don't know if anyone's going to write it or not, but like, I would love to see because number one, that is definitely baby strife. There is no way. And I will wrestle Jerry to the ground with it's baby hands, Gable. if anybody says 
that it's right that it's ba- that it's the real Nathaniel dates no that is definitely Nathan, a clone. Yeah, yeah, that's a baby no. strife oh, no. so I would like to no, not see baby strife again for like 10 years and then somebody bring him Ever. back and like right when he hit puberty he you know he okay. rapidly so that's good that's good if baby strife. if we were gonna see him again I want to see him in a Scotty Young like little chibi X-Men style <laughs> like his um AVX you know little yeah. X-Men versus baby Avengers or whatever thing with baby like strife you- like causing all sorts of problems yeah. in the daycare and shit like threatening to spike his shoot yeah, yeah they could hang out with Artie and Leech who are still babies <laughs> Yeah, look, I'll I'll tell you what, I like Baby Strife more than Shogo right off the bat. So there's that. Come on. (laughs) I mean, I guess you would. Baby Strife can want, oh no, what would Baby, would Baby Strife turn into a dragon if he went to Otherworld? No, because Shogo turns into a dragon because dragons are cool. I want Baby Strife to ride around on Dragon Shogo in Otherworld. What would Baby Strife turn into, do you think? What do you you think Baby Strife really wants to be? A Triceratops. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, we know what Baby Strife really wants to be is Baby Cable. (laughs) (laughs) He would just, he would just, yeah, he would just turn into a less spiky version of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Props, props for Baby Strife because that that was a nice way of just again like leaving toys on the playground for somebody else to pick up. You know, I I don't want to see anything about that baby for years and years and years. But like for somebody to pull on that like ten years down the road and be like, watch what I'm gonna do. Like that would be awesome. So okay, I, I so real question, real question then: If in issue one of Cable Reloaded, Al Ewing pulls out Baby Strife, what are you gonna do? <laughs> He's not going to do that. I have, I have faith. I have no, faith in know. Al Ewing and uh, and Bob um, Quinn is also is 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 the artist, right? For yeah. Cable one shot. I love. Bob yeah, Quinn. I'm excited about that. Love but it's I, I one issue, before. right? It's one shot. Yeah, Cable: The Last Annihilation, which comes out. I think it's like yeah, in two a couple weeks. weeks after this issue, doesn't it? It comes out soon. Um, speaking of of Ewing, so you remember that Cable wasn't sword for like two issues, mm-hmm. or three issues at the beginning. Yeah. I feel like there was something more like to barely. that. But like just said yeah. it that it definitely felt like you had to bring someone told Jerry, maybe it was Jordan or someone higher up, you gotta bring back the old man. And like making Cable a character in the last annihilation to like a sort of makeup from, from Ewing. Like, I'm sorry, we have plans, but you know, shit happens. Well I don't know. What I would say is that I don't think that they were convinced this was gonna end yet. I don't think that they had given this an end date at issue twelve at that point. Right. I, I think that the plan all along was that this ends with the old man coming back. But whether that was at issue 10, issue 12, issue 40, they didn't know. And so they established S.W.O.R.D. with Kid Cable being a part of it. And then by King in Black realized they were wrapping this shit up. And so then we just stopped seeing him on S.W.O.R.D. Yeah. Yeah, because he was in sort of for like a hot minute, and that's it. Yeah, just the king in black. Yeah, right? it's it's definitely a little messy, and I'm I'm curious to see like what's going to happen now with Cable. Like, where is he gonna? What's what's his home gonna be? Um, I, I'm not even sure. That's the thing with this one shot is I'm just I'm just there for the ride. Like, I I, I don't expect anything other than like a, a fun story. I'm not sure if it's gonna set something up. I don't know. I don't know where Cable goes next. And uh, and I just I've realized that I had so much more interest in the blank slate of a kid cable versus now that we have old man cable back it's like okay 
Like now, I'm just less excited about him. He's cool. He's great, but like it's same old, I don't know what to do with him. Well, yeah. there was a luxury of having Kid Cable as well, and this is something that we talked about with Mike Carey in our Mike Carey interview. Is that when you put Old Man Cable into a book, he has a a very strong gravity to him as a character, which means like when Cable is in a book, he tends to make shit about Cable. Like he just is too big of a character concept to just kind of be like the fifth character on a team of eight which is i mean one of the things that we brought up that you know it was impressive in mike carrie's attempt to and you know as successful as supernovas as the story was with cable being like the number five character on like or the set like cable being like the last guy on that team or maybe like one ahead of Iceman. but you know essentially like when you go through all the characters that were big parts of that like cannonball was more important in that story and rogue was obviously her story and you know mystique was a bigger part of that story and and he did a good job of kind of managing that but it's very difficult kid cable gave them the luxury to kind of throw him into teams and scenes and not just take over like kid cable was with seven other characters on sword and it didn't feel like like what are these people doing cables there like whatever the fuck like cables over in the corner what like what's this kid doing i i think um but what you were saying about my carry that in the end even though he was a supporting character he ended up being a main character for the messiah trilogy so it's not like mm-hmm. i mean eventually cable is has to become a main character he's too big now and now that he's in the movies even more oh yeah you know because people, people know him as just brolin from deadpool and shit sells yeah i mean cable was always you know the the like the mutant messiah like he's you know, it, he's, he's always been written in a way where he's like destined for greatness. He, I agree. He's too big of a character. He's not just, you know, the strong guy or the guy with the guns. And, and, and he is the connection between the past and the, the future. Is, exactly. Exactly. With having, with, with having this current cable and then with having X-Men just wrapped up, like, I think it's enough cable for a bit, but I'll read it because Al Yoon's on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Who knows? Like, I, I, I think after like the Messiah complex and after Hope and and you know him Cable and Hope like jumping through time and being pursued by Bishop and you know all of that like Cable felt so unmoored from the timeline even more so than he had ever been so I th- I don't know he, he's like a very unique character in that regard that like you can you can put him back on the shelf in a pretty easy way you know by just you know body slide off to the future and then come back whenever so yeah i'm curious to see what they're going to do with him now like what all of this was for uh and while we were talking about that i realized one more reason and one more way that if he had been kid strife it would have been brilliant because uh in ten of swords his tarot card was the fool oh right yeah more sense than (laughs) anyways yeah well it's just his hero's journey i guess yeah Yeah, I mean, I think the more if we're going to hyper analyze kind of on the red herrings of Kid Cable and Kid Strife, I do like what we saw from him, his moment of weakness with killing Bay into um, Ten of Swords. It does play well better as being Cable because like Kid Strife was a fuck. Like, if you remember, like, the um, Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, he was basically Joffrey Baratheon, going back to your Game of Thrones references earlier. Like, Kid Strife would hesitate to kill nobody. Kid Strife doesn't give a fuck um, about life at all. So that one, I think, does play better as, like, yeah, you know what? Like, he was a dick a lot, but he was still Scott and Jean's boy. Yeah. Cable sucking his thumb in front of Apocalypse yeah. is also way funnier if it's Cable than if it's <laughs> Strife, in my opinion. Because, like, 
Strife would suck his thumb. Everybody knows Strife sucks a thumb. But like, <laughs> Cable doing it and just being like, this is my immortal arch nemesis who I eventually will have to try to defeat. Like, I am all that stands between this man and the end of reality in my timeline. And he's just this, he looks so ancient there. Just so much more ancient than ever. <laughs> it just It just sucks for him. <laughs> Poor kid. You think that yeah, like, the I mean, mandate I... to bring the old man, like to bring the old man back is sort of, because this issue had a lot of hints that Cable knows something about Krakoa's future. I mean, obviously he does. And that he will figure out into maybe what Hickman's doing post-Inferno. And that's why he had to come back now instead of later. Oh, I mean, it better be for something. It out there, you know? like, yeah. It to better be for something. Like, if it's just because, like, ah, oh, we were bored or changing, like, there, there needs to have been a reason for a change like this to come at this point now. I would be very disappointed if this is just the version that we're getting as he pops in and out of stories now and that it's not that there isn't something within the next six to 12 months that necessitates old man cable i'll be very disappointed yeah i agree completely yeah what what about this question for you guys let's say cable old man cable the cable that we have the cable we're left with gets killed in this one shot do you want to see him resurrected as old man cable or what if we get the first you know special notes for the resurrection team to bring him back and in a younger body i guess he could i feel like cable's the kind of guy who would be more comfortable in his old ass body i think he's just like i'm an old ass man i should have an old ass body <laughs> uh, but one thing that would be interesting is that I mean, you remember back in, in New Mutants, I think, 17, when Shan came back from the Crucible? Mm -hmm. Would or wouldn't a Cable come back without the techno-organic virus post-Krakow, especially the old man? They, they would keep it. I think they said in... Yeah, because they, they talked issue. about that in issue 11. Yeah. In issue 11, that came up explicitly, that when he came back, like, he psychic-checked with Hope or Kid Cable or one of them asking, you know, like, making sure that they, they left it and, you know, that they knew... He's experimenting on it. I knew you'd be pissed if we took it away. Like, yeah, it could have implications for yeah. the phalanx storyline if that's if that's why old man Cable has to come back now. Is maybe he has maybe he figures in Hickman's plans. Okay. I think the the light of Galador and that that whole planet of the you know the the, the new planet that's life is is sprouting on could come back in with the phalanx. Like that feels like a, a a possibility. That feels like again like another thread that Jerry kind of left left in the mix on his way out the door because you know I mean I, I don't and I don't know anything about them but they seem like a techno organic race so maybe they're you know the good techno organics that can help fight off the phalanx. Yeah, I mean I did see there is is a little bit of a parallel there with that Galadorian flower and like the flowers that Doug Locke, or well, I guess it was actually just Warlock yeah. on Doug, um, was touching around on. That was Cable 12. It ended, ended maybe not quite with a bang, but it, it ended, it wrapped up, did a really good job. You know, shout out to Jerry and Phil Noto for, for really, you know, doing a fun story. I, I don't think this was what any of us really expected or even hoped for, but you know, it all shaped up. It, it was a really fun on ride and and i think cable as a character is better and much improved for having us all fall in love with kid cable 